What is up y'all, Daphne here and welcome back to Seriously What the Frick. Alright, so this week, uh, it's it's weird. Alright, there's just a lot of just random stuff that happens. Um, not the weirdest one that I've done, but it's, it's honestly just because of just how crazy the circumstances are. Um, so pretty much the entire story is a cousin, nephew, pretty much, of JFK killed someone. And that's not surprising, honestly. All the conspiracies surrounding the Kennedy family. We will talk about that at some point. Um, this is something I definitely want to talk about. It's definitely interesting. And I kind of want to start diving into like conspiracies and stuff, but we won't be talking about that this week. This week, we are going to be talking about Martha Moxley. I know I'm jumping literally right into it. Um, so Martha Elizabeth Moxley was born August 16th, 1960 to her parents, Dorothy and John David Moxley in San Francisco, California. She ended up growing up with her brother, John Moxley in Piedmont, California, before moving to Bellhaven, Greenwich, Connecticut in, I think, 1974. Here's the thing. Bellhaven was known to be a very safe neighborhood, which is how all these stories start out, and it always ends up bad. Have you guys noticed that? Quote, it was one of these neighborhoods that kids could go out and meet people. Very safe, end quote. And that is what Dorothy, Martha's mom, said about the neighborhood after everything went down pretty much. Martha was voted um, best personality in middle school. Everyone loved her. She had so many friends and it was so easy for her to make them. She was a basketball player, straight A student. Everything seemed to be going great. It actually didn't take her that long to really adjust to the cross country move. So after moving to Bellhaven, Martha eventually met her neighbors um, across the street, I believe, and they befriended each other. And that was Michael and Thomas Skakel. Michael and Thomas Skakel are the nephews of Ethel Skakel. And Ethel Skakel is the widow to Robert F. Kennedy. You know, the brother of the president, John F. Kennedy. They're straight up American royalty. Like these boys had it made for them from the get-go like literally they popped out of the womb and they were pretty powerful already just being related to the kennedys so thomas and michael were brothers obviously and their parents were Anne and rushton skackle so rushton skackle was ethel's brother and ethel was married to robert f kennedy so that's how their whole family tree worked um, eventually, in 1973, Anne Skackle, um, Thomas and Michael's mom, had died of brain cancer, and Rushton was already an alcoholic. But after Anne's death, it just went even further downhill. Rushton would leave the house for multiple hours at a time and left his seven kids alone at home almost all the time and left them with an unlimited amount of money. Eventually, Michael um, expressed, quote, an even more intense level of chaos came to rule our household, end quote. And he had mentioned that after this whole thing happened about his mom dying. The Skakel house was honestly a free-for-all. You know, at some point, their dad would never come home, and it was mostly just full of teenagers related to the Skakels or not. It was just honestly a constant coming in, like coming and going of neighborhood kids and parties at the Skakel house. 
So, you know, eventually Martha got into the mix. She's like 15 at this point, and her two main unsupervised troublemakers were roughly the same age. Michael was 15 and Thomas was 17. So she ended up hanging out with them. But um, fun fact, Dorothy, Martha's mom, didn't even really know that she was even hanging out with the Skagel boys or that she was even friends with them. Scandalous. Martha wrote in her diary quite a lot, since that's what typical teenage girls do in the 70s. And she wrote a lot about the Skakel boys, especially about the many advances from Tom that she received and seemed a little mixed about. September 12, 1975, she wrote, quote, Dear Diary, me, Jackie, Michael, Tom, Hope, and Maureen in Andra went driving in Tom's car. I was practically sitting on Tom's lap because I was only steering. He kept putting his hand on my knee, then I was driving again, and Tom put his arm around me. He kept doing stuff like that, end quote. Eventually, Michael got into the mix and she began to write about Michael being an asshole. Um, her words, not mine. She wrote in her diary September 19th, 1975, a few days after the last entry, saying, quote, Michael was so totally out of it. He was being a real asshole in his actions and words. He kept telling me I was leading Tom on, but I don't even like him, except as a friend. I said, well, how about you and Jackie? You keep telling me you don't like her and yet you're all over her. He doesn't understand that he can be nice to her without hanging all over her, end quote. So just typical teenage shit going on. So the night before Halloween, um, the night, actually the night before Halloween is actually a bigger deal in Greenwich than the actual night of Halloween, especially to teens. Um, October 30th was known as Mischief Night, and that is when teens go around playing pranks, TPing houses, harmless stuff. But Mischief Night of 1975, it was no longer harmless fun. So Martha had gone out with her friends on Mischief Night, so October 30th, and around four in the morning is when her mom realized that she wasn't home yet. Dorothy, Martha's mom, decided to call her around, you know, call Martha's friends, you know, into the next morning, and there was no sign of Martha and no one knew where she was. Eventually, someone did tell Dorothy that she was last seen with Tom's cackle, and it is reported they were kissing and that she was flirting with Tom and that they were last seen, quote, falling behind the fence near the pool of the Skakel backyard around 9.30. Is this a rom-com? What type of magical moment was that? So Dorothy walks over to the Skakels and is like, knock, knock, where's my kid? And Michael ends up answering the door and just shrugged and said, I don't know. So that's frustrating to Dorothy or to any parent, really. But eventually the frustration turns into sadness. A little bit after noon, Martha's friend Sheila was helping out, you know, just trying to find Martha. And when they found her, she was laying face down under a large pine tree at the edge of the Moxley property. Martha Elizabeth Moxley was found with her parents and underwear pulled all the way down to her ankles and blood covered her and her clothes. They also found a six iron golf club nearby, broken and covered in blood as well. It was later discovered that it was used to hit Martha repeatedly, and she was hit so hard that the club broke and one piece was even used to stab Martha in the neck. Oh yeah, it, it gets pretty gruesome. Investigators do believe that this happened around 10pm the previous night. So obviously an investigation happened, and it didn't take long for the popo to match the Tony Pina club, uh, golf club to the matching set in the Skakel house. It also did help that Ann Skakel's name was engraved on the handle. So obviously police are like, what the fuck? And immediately begin to investigate Tom's Skakel. 
one, since she was the last person, like he was the last person that she was seen with. And two, the golf club goes back to the Skakel house. Tom did become a prime suspect and was questioned. And then his alibi was that he saw Martha around 930 last night. Then he watched the French connection with the family's live-in tutor. He had a live-in tutor. How do you get that job? But after watching the movie with the live-in tutor, he went to his room and wrote a report on Abraham Lincoln, even though none of his teachers assigned that essay to him. He ended up taking a polygraph and then passed, so investigators just say, cool, and then no charges were ever brought to him. It also does help that Rushton didn't allow act like didn't allow the police to have access to his school and mental health records. So him, like the police having restricted access, probably did knock off Tom pretty quickly from being a prime suspect. So Kenneth Littleton was the live-in tutor that tutored for the Skakels. Um, And he actually was also investigated. But um, the day that Martha was murdered on Mischief Night, it was his first night in the house. And he claims that he has no idea who Martha even was. But he did fail a few polygraphs, but he was also never charged. I'm very confused on what the cops were thinking here. So at this point, the investigators start looking at Michael Skakel, just because a lot of evidence is pointing to the Skakel residence for Martha Moxley's murder. So the cops just ask Michael, like, where were you on Mischief Night? What were you doing, buddy? Huh? Huh? What you doing? And, you know, and Michael just told them that he left his house around 9.15 and then he came back around 11 and the cops say, all right, cool, you're good. And then the case was cold for almost 20 years. A little weird that Michael's alibi barely missed Martha being murdered. A little sus, but like, how can you leave 45 minutes before she's like, you know, we think that she died and then come back an hour after she supposedly died. Like, that's just too close. Mm -mm. That's just me. So, like I said, the case went cold for almost 20 years, and the only reason evening came back into the spotlight in 1991 was because a weird rumor showed up somewhere in the wild about how William Kennedy Smith, another Kennedy, obviously, still related to JFK, was involved in the murder. So, the theory is, is when William uh, Kennedy Smith was tried and acquitted for rape in 1991, the rumor, a rumor surfaced somehow that he might have been at the Skakel house the night that, Ma, that Martha was murdered. But there's literally no evidence to prove or disprove that he was there. But this being brought up, had cops were like, well, yeah, that's a thing. Maybe we should get back on that. So this time around, Michael became the prime suspect. And honestly, the only reason for that is Rushton. That will make sense in a minute. So Thomas and Michael's dad hired private investigators to, quote, clear his family's name. And he wanted or hoped, I guess, that somehow investigators would just suspect someone else, um, you know, that wasn't in the Skakel household or, you know, just not related to them. Um, one of those people he was hoping to be Kenneth Littleton, the live-in tutor, which imagine be, like having people related to the Kennedys try to have you become a suspect for murder of a 15 year old girl you claim you don't know. Imagine that. And I hope Kenneth's okay. But regardless, Rushton's plans bit him straight in the ass. So the private investigators were Jim Murphy, a who was a former FBI agent, and then there was Willis Billy Krebs, and he was a former NYPD lieutenant. And they interviewed Tom and Michael, you know, just to see what they did, just so they can definitely be officially like ruled out. 
and this just made it worse. So um, the investigators talked to Tom and he told Jim and Billy, I'll be referring to Willis as Billy since that's his nickname. Um, Tom told them that it actually wasn't 930 when he last saw Martha. It was closer to 10. And before he went back inside, him and Martha engaged in mutual masturbation in his yard. Somehow. How do you... How did that even... Huh? So according to Billy... Thomas said that his lawyer cut him off when he was initially questioned before anything else could be said. And he was crying. Well, you know, Tom was crying when he told this to Billy. When Jim and Billy talked to Michael, he said that when he got home from his cousins around 11, he climbed a tree outside of Martha's bedroom and then masturbated. A a few things. So Dorothy, Martha's mom, said that Martha never came home that night. And by the time Michael was home from his cousins... She was estimated to be dead for like an hour already, at least. He said it was anywhere from 11.30 to 12.30. So almost like two and a half hours at this point. So what the fuck was he masturbating to? The empty, dark room? I'm super confused and I believe this is why he became the prime suspect. Because what what, what was he doing that to? What do you mean? By the way, the after these interviews by the private investigators, it was pretty obvious that both boys lied to the police which is just a crime on its own, especially when it comes to, you know, a murder investigation. So a journalist named Dominic Dune somehow got a hold of the investigative, like, report and then gave it to a state inspector named Frank Garr, which why he gave it to the state inspector was because Frank Garr used to be a detective on the the Martha Moxie case. He had claimed that he was suspicious about Michael, but he wasn't really taken seriously. But this report about the boys lying to the police and about how their answers had changed a little drastically definitely gave Frank's suspicions like a little bit of momentum. So we're going to fast forward a few years to 1998, a grand jury of one man. I know, George Thim. I know, it sounds a little fucky. A one man jury. Um, it's totally a thing. So Mr. George Thim was a judge, actually, and he worked on the case for at least a year and a half. I think it, I read it was like... 18 months. He interviewed 53 witnesses, scrubbed through transcripts, and just reviewed and sweated all over evidence. He didn't actually, but Homeboy knew everything there could have been, you know, to possibly know about this case. Eventually, Judge George said, oh yeah, there's enough evidence to charge Michael Scaffold with the murder. Oh, and they did. A few formal peers of Skakel's school years um, testified that when they were at the Elan School, which is just a school that is aimed to rehabilitate troubled kids, and the reason why Michael was even there was because in 1978, when he was like 18, maybe, um, he was arrested for drunk driving in New York, and then he went to the school to avoid criminal charges. It doesn't matter. But he went there. But a few of Michael's peers had testified that Michael had confessed to murdering Martha. A former schoolmate named Gregory Coleman testified at the pre-trial hearing and said that Michael had said, quote, I'm going to get away with murder. I am a Kennedy, end quote. And then Gregory said that, quote, he made a comment that he was trying to make advances towards a girl and that this girl was not complying with those advances. And thus he drove her skull in, end quote. And this was the pre-trial of June of 2000. So Gregory, who seemed like an awesome witness, 
did not come and testify for the actual trial in 2002 since he died in August of 2001 of a heroin, heroin overdose. A little suspicious if you ask me. We are dealing with the Kennedys, but I didn't say anything. A little fun fact about Michael, he wrote an autobiography, which became some very crucial evidence for his trial. In 1997, um, Michael had recordings with the ghostwriter for his autobiography, and the book is called Dead Man Talking, A Kennedy Cousin Comes Clean, which is a title that you write if you are confessing to murder. I also need to read that instantly. But there was one recording um, where it was played at the 2002 trial, where Michael said that the night of Martha's murder, he was smoking the marijuana and was drunk and very sexually aroused. He later claimed that when Dorothy came to his door the following morning, he said, quote, I was still high from the night, a little drunk, end quote. Um, he said that when Dorothy came to the door, his mind was racing and he was wondering himself, quote, did they see me last night, end quote. And when he was thinking this, or like he claimed it was because he was worried about being spotted masturbating in the tree outside of Martha's window, but the prosecutors claimed that it was Michael referring to beating Martha with the golf club. And then Michael's defense said, nah, there's no physical evidence tying Michael to the murder or to convict him at all. And he had an alibi for the time frame, which Martha was murdered during. The prosecutor said, all right there, buddy. He was a jealous teen who was upset and was rejected by his crush and who's heavily influenced into drugs and alcohol. And he also had so much access to the murder weapon. So there you go. Michael was found guilty June 7th, 2002 and was sentenced to 20 years to life in prison. Unfortunately, this is not where it ends. There's so much more. Michael does go to prison for only about a decade. Um, but him being a goddamn Kennedy, which, I mean, the Kennedys have a collected network of $1.2 billion. So Homeboy kept on hiring the best, the best lawyers that he could find. Um, and for some reason, he had supporters too. But his supporters and his lawyers fought like hell to get the conviction overturned. Four appeals were filed and all of them were denied, of course. There's only really one appeal that stands out um, out of the four, and that was the one they tried to do in 2007, where Michael's new attorneys um, wrote petitions for a new trial, and this was all based on a theory that involved Tony Bryant, and that's the cousin of Kobe Bryant, the late LA Laker basketball player. Everyone has a famous cousin today. Everyone's related to someone here. Shit. But Tony was also a former classmate of Michael when he went to Brunswick School in Greenwich. Um, and another private investigator was hired and interviewed Tony and said that on mischief night 1975, the night of Martha Moxie's murder, Tony said that one of his companions, quote unquote, wanted to rape Martha and the reason he didn't come to investigators earlier like prior to 2003 since that is when this recording happened he didn't want to come forward because his mom had warned him that since he's black he might have been quote tagged for an unsolved murder of a white girl which is something we still talk about today this is not crazy but when the attorneys of Michael did trial, try and file this petition that was based on Tony's claim, the prosecutor said that he may have made it up to, quote, sell a play about the case. 
October 25, 2007, the Superior Court judge did deny the request of a new trial and said that Tony's testimony was incredible and that there was no evidence of a prosecutional conduct like misconduct during the original trial. And he was denied the appeal again. And it's not over. October 23, 2013, Michael was granted a new trial based on the fact that his defense attorney during the original trial that Michael's lawyer um, had provided constitutional deficient representation to Michael. And then Michael Skakel was released with a $1.2 million bond on November 31st, 2013. Prosecutors fought hard, and I mean hard, to have Michael's conviction reinstated, and they did, kind of. In 2016, the Connecticut Supreme Court did a rule of four to three decision that the lawyer did not did represent, you know, Michael in a valid way. I wish there wasn't more, but there is. In May of 2018, the court reversed their own ruling to another four to three decision about how Michael's lawyer did do a bad job of representing him because he did not pro like provide Michael's alibi during the original trial. I don't know how you missed that. That's like the main thing you talk about when you're you know, your clients on stand for murder. Talk about the alibi. Michael's still not in jail. Um, homeboy is doing his own thing right now. There is still an option to convict him or at least reverse the ruling or whatever. But since some witnesses have passed or there's other problems, like, I don't know, a pandemic probably, there is something telling me it's going to be very difficult to do that. So Dorothy and John, which is Martha's mom and brother, full-heartedly believe that Michael is guilty in murdering Martha. Dorothy believes especially that it is because Michael is a Kennedy and has a lot of money and because he is a Kennedy is the reason that he is walking around a free man today. Quote, the state of Connecticut had a very, very, very good case and we absolutely know who killed Martha. If Michael Skakel came from a poor family, this would have been all over. But because he comes from a family of means, they stretched out all over these years, end quote. And of course, the Kennedys specifically thought that Michael was innocent. His cousin, Robert um, F. Kennedy Jr., wrote a book called Framed, Why Michael Skakel spent over a decade in prison for murdering for a murder he didn't commit. And that came out in like 2016. On October 30th, 2020, the chief of state attorney informed the superior court that Michael is still not retired from another trial. So I think that just means that they're going to try to get him in jail again. That's that's it. That's all I have for you guys. Um, let me know how y'all feel about this. I'm a little mixed. I can see it being Michael, but she was last seen with Tom. And I don't know, maybe Tom wanted to smash and she said no. And Tom got angry, which might explain why her pants are all the way down. But she was not found sexually assaulted. Just a theory. I'm just throwing it out there. But I'm not quite sure how Tom would have gotten the golf club if it was out. I don't know. Like, it's. I'm just throwing shit out there. I'm literally just making shit up, just throwing out a theory. Um, let me know what y'all think on the Instagram, the Twitter. I don't know. Come to my house and tell me whatever y'all feel like doing. Um, check out the website. I got merch, episode captions on there, and a little bit more information and stuff like that. The Patreon, you get episodes a week early, cool ass merch, behind the scenes stuff, a little bit of extra stuff about the cases too, and a monthly bonus episode. It is worth your money. I promise.
be kind, make decent decisions, and I'll go ahead and see you guys next week with a brand new episode that will make you say seriously, what the frick. Bye, y'all.